Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Somewhat off of what I referenced a little bit earlier this morning in the message. Uh, go ahead and get you turning your Bibles there. It's a blessing to have you tonight. And uh, you can tell as a person that's ADD, my mind's been thinking about this all day. That's why I went so quickly into it. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and one verse, verse 23 of a message titled, Do You Know? And I have always been quite fascinated with Ezekiel chapter really 37 and 38, uh, 39 really, but it has always gets me excited when I read it. Now, you get a lot of people that they read Revelation, they get nervous. Some people, they don't want to study it because it makes them nervous. If that makes you nervous, Matthew 7 ought to petrify you because Matthew 7 throws the gauntlet out about the danger of people who believe they're Christians headed for hell clearer than any other scripture I believe in scripture at all. So I see Matthew 7's, I see Revelation, I see Romans chapter 1's as a beautiful affirmation of God's word, God's promise, God's plan, but also God's holiness. And tonight's message, in a sense, is the culmination of almost all things, this verse, I love this verse. This verse just basically is the icing on the cake as a Christian to know that everything's going to be okay. And I say that if you are on the side of righteousness and truth. If you are not, it won't. It's actually going to be horrifying. Not only horrifying in this reality, but the moment you breathe your dying breath, as I have talked to doctors and I've read the stories and even actually speaking with people at work recently, we're talking about death and they have seen this visible reality between how people die. And even the non-Christian workers have been stirred in spirit. It's had been great conversations as a result because there is a definitive difference in followers of Christ, people who place their faith and trust, people who are born-again believers versus people who are not in the way that they die. There is a vast chasm between how they die. And the foolishness, you know, the fool says in their heart there is no God. We know that. This world and the wisdom of the world, I think, has done, sadly, a great number for people who don't believe in truth, don't believe in righteousness, don't believe in God or anything religious or spiritual, because there is a, a mountain, is, the, is a, the understatement of the century, of things you can go at and look online that will either bring into question what you believe, whatever it is, and it's sad, because... It ultimately, in my opinion, boils down to Romans chapter 1. So they did not work, see it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. And then in the beginning, when you reject truth, you reject righteousness, it's just the picture of the rich man and Jesus. When, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the law. He said, I've done that since birth. Sell your possessions, take up your cross, and follow me. 
said he went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. So that man made a distinct choice to reject the gift of righteousness, the gift of eternity, for the gift of now. And <clears throat> there's a lot of people doing that now. There's a lot of people who have abandoned the faith. We know what scripture says. In the end times, what? Many will what? Abandon the faith. They will become what? Heartless, faithless, ruthless. The love of most will what? Grow cold. He who endures to the end will be saved. So we see from scripture that there's perilous times ahead. In no way concerning to me, I hope it's not for you. I hope when I share that, you get excited. Excited in the promise of Scripture, the promise that the Lord will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, height nor depth, angels, principalities, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the truth of Scripture, the promise of Scripture that will stand the test of time. And I'm thankful because my hope is not in anything in this two-dimensional. I am vertical, not horizontal. I am looking home. I'm looking to home. I want to merely finish the work that God has in store for me. I got the privilege today of spending about 45 minutes with a young person that uh, God's really working in, really working on their heart. <clears throat> and they were just saying, you know, I've, I've been very successful. I've done a lot of really, I've, I've experienced a lot of great, I, I, have a, I have a great life. But they said, I just came to the, this realization that I have all but abandoned the faith. And uh, Friday, they, they literally, in their vehicle at work, recommitted their life to Christ. And just, just awesome things that God's doing in hearts. And it's so encouraging that God gave me the privilege of being able to sit in front of this young person today and hear this. Because I just shared, this is why I do this. I do this because as God at your age has brought you back around in a younger age, I said there's some of your peers that potentially will never come around. They will abdicate the position that, that spiritually their parents desired for them. They will all but walk away from it. When we realize that, it's something that you know we pray about. We, we do everything we can do, but we can't change somebody's will. Amen? And each person individually of their own self. Now, we can pray. We can, and we not only can plead the blood of Jesus, we can go boldly into God's presence, but ultimately, there's going to be people that we love dearly that are going to walk off lost and without hope because they did not desire to walk in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Very difficult. I have family members who've done that. Very, very hard for me to, to grasp hard for me to process, very difficult for me in the human context to, to stomach. But I'm so thankful tonight that even in the holiness and righteousness of God, God's going to remain holy. Even if I was to abandon the faith, God is still going to be God. And I'm so thankful for that tonight. And I'm thankful tonight that even if my family was to abandon the faith, that in the presence of the Bemis seat of Christ or the great white throne of judgment, if I was to witness that, my response to that would be to praise God. That is a hard thought to stomach. But yet, if God did not do that, he's not God. He's not righteous. And if I cannot triumph in the holiness and the righteousness of God, who am I? Even if the closest loved ones that I loved 
we're separated for eternity, we've got to ultimately remember that God is merely giving them their will. And that's the thing tonight that I'm, I'm thankful for, that God's given us that will that is the free gift, the free will, the free gift of salvation that God's given us. And I am also thankful for the scripture that says it's God's will that none should perish. That leaves me with great hope. It leaves with great promise. But if you found Ezekiel 38, again, just one verse, verse 23, if you're physically able tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. And just a little bit of context. This battles happen. They're at the place where the nations have attacked Israel. God has, I'm going to just break it down easily, God has broken bad. And we are at the final culmination of this as God has rained down hailstones, torrents of rain, burning sulfur. God has literally obliterated these nations and people who've come against Israel. And then we're at the very end of this. Here it says, I will display my greatness and holiness and will reveal myself in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Father, thank you tonight for your word. God, thank you that you are Lord. Thank you that you are Lord, whether mankind decides to worship you and honor you or not. You are God. You are King. You are Lord. You are our Savior. Father, thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of mercy. Lord, the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts in Jesus Christ. Father, speak to our hearts tonight. Encourage us, challenge us, motivate us, Father, to go out and be beacons of hope and light in the darkness that seems so prevalent right now. Father, work your plan out. Use us as the hands and feet of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love this verse. I love this verse because this is almost the picture of Jesus dying on the cross to me. The enemy had no dominion over Jesus Christ's death, his burial. He thought he had dominion over his death. He thought that Jesus was going to stay in the ground. But death had no hold on our Savior, our Lord, our King. Death had no ability to be triumphant or victorious over the, the precious gift of Christ Jesus. And it's so profound because as we celebrate Easter, and as you see that, we celebrate this triumphant, the resurrection. We see this victory that means redemption and literally, the, 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 uh, the King James, I think it says, the rocks were rent. Meaning the, the, the graves came up, the rocks were broken open, graves came open, and people were walking around. We have the first time in history that someone can, for the first time in history, enter God's presence in eternity. Until that time, we see with the witch in Endor with King Saul, there's no one who can enter God's presence. The price had not been paid. They were in soul sleep. They were waiting for the, the time that the Messiah would pay the price, pay the debt, and would free them from the grave and allow them to enter God's presence. This is what I know. Paul never would have said, I desire to depart. Had what? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Paul would have said, keep me here. Let me continue. I don't want to sleep. Let me continue to run the race. Let me continue to win souls for Christ. Paul's desire to depart was because he knew what would come the moment that you breathe your dying breath as a New Testament, new covenant follower of Jesus Christ. Why could they not enter God's presence back then? 
Because the propitiation for sin had not been paid. God can't look at sin. A sinner had no authority and ability to enter God's presence until Jesus Christ paid the price. In Adam, all were made sinners. In Christ, we're all made righteous. Oh, what do you mean now? Those people were alive before. It didn't matter. God followers were followers of Christ. Probably never heard it like that, but that's, that is what you call, in a sense, uh, grandfathered in. You ever thought about this? You ever talked about this? You ever heard it spoken? I've not even ever heard a pastor speak about it. But it's the truth. It's scriptural. Because those people who were waiting, who were uh, Jacob, um, who did he call up? He called up... Um, he called up the priest. Um, why did you bother me in my sleep? Samuel. He called up Samuel. Samuel was as righteous as righteous gets. Samuel was as godly as godly gets, right? Of all the people that you would have believed through the sacrifices and the priesthood and honoring the Lord and doing what he was supposed to do would have been able to enter God's presence. No, couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because the propitiation, the payment, the atonement, the debt had not been paid. In Christ Jesus, the debt was paid. That's why you see those graves come open. It's, it's literally the, honestly, it's almost like the picture of seeing finally people who are dead be brought to life. They were finally brought to life, not only spiritually, but even physically, because this was that point in history that right now you realize, as I said earlier, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you would say Samuel is present with the Lord. No, he was sleeping. They were in, honestly, it's kind of like a state of suspended animation. It's when you're in surgery. You can have vast amount. I had a, a 10-hour surgery or 12-hour surgery. It was like five minutes. I had no idea that I'd been sleeping. That's what it was like for them back then. And that's what it's like before Christ because there was no ability to enter God's presence. And the exciting part about this tonight is the culmination of the, all things being made new. When we look at the battle of uh, Magog, Gog, Magog, I just, I wish I had my pictures tonight because I have a picture of the Jezreel Valley where this is going to occur. Powerful. I stood up on top of Mount Carmel. The Mount Carmel is literally about the center of where the Jezreel Valley is. And I could look to the north and to the south. And this back then was a real big-time trade route. So whoever right around Mount Carmel controlled was a, di a difference in the northern and eastern or the uh, southern and northern kingdoms of Israel. This is basically was the dividing line. And as I looked down there, I was just, I was astounded, first of all, because you see these beautiful lush green fields. But then I didn't realize at the moment until somebody told me that there was there a lot of their warplanes are up underground there, and they're on platforms, and these platform massive platforms slide out of the way, and these jets come up, and they can take these off right here in the Jezreel Valley, just profound. But this is where when you hear about the the, uh, the battle of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought in the Jezreel Valley right there where the battle of the between northern and southern kingdoms occurred all throughout history when you, when you deal in the scripture with that and there's, there's different time periods in history. But at this time that this happens, when the culmination of Ezekiel chapter 37, 38 and, and the end of this comes, it is going to be led 
by most notably Russia, the neighbors in the north, and Persia, uh, which is modern-day Iran. And the nations, it says the nations with them. Now, America's not referenced in there. To me, does that matter? I, you know what? I believe, this is my own opinion, I don't, it doesn't matter, it doesn't change the fact of salvation or anything else. I believe America is going to be all but impotent politically. I believe that we're going to have such a little role to play at that point in history that America is going to sit back and only be able to sing Kumbaya and not do really anything. What I do know is that the anger that will be incited for Israel is not going to be from the nations. It's not going to be because the, they just don't like what Israel did. This is going to be an anger that God himself placed in them. God incites them against Israel. All the nations. It says all the nations with them. And it's interesting because Israel was not even a nation until the reestablishment in what, 1948? In the Six-Day War. Unimaginable odds. These few people with few resources against all the odds. All you got to do is look at the Bible. You were wondering how it could happen? All you have to do is look at the Bible. Because God knows what he's doing. By the way, if you've not been over to Israel or you haven't studied it much, when it talks about a land with unwalled villages and this prosperity that Israel has, Israel's one of the most prosperous nations on the planet. They grow everything for themselves. They have oil. They have everything that they need. Vast wealth like none other. It's kind of interesting how Scripture talks about they'd have this. So what I know tonight is that everything that Scripture says will happen, it's going to happen. The question tonight is, and I know most likely in the circle here, it might just be for online that God had me preach this tonight. Everybody in this building tonight, I would say, they know. They know that God is God. I want to tell you something, though, tonight. God is holy. God's desire for us is not to plunge ourselves in a flood of dissipation, of unworldliness, ungodliness. God's desire for us is not to be in the world and of the world. It's to be set apart. God's desire for our children is to, whatever you call it, I call it, I think courting is the best thing. I don't even like the dating thing. I think courting is the way to do it. To appropriately court, to then consummate your marriage in an actual marriage as you're supposed to, the covenant vow to one another, and then, well, marriage is what you know it is. And it's then should be followed by children at whatever point God would design that to be, and in no other order should it happen. That's what God's word says. That's what God, now, we can, you can argue that with me, but I want to just tell you, Scripture's really good at laying out the foundational basis for which marriages, relationships, and the structure of that does real well. But yet our culture has so skewed everything, and the, the statistical data on people not getting married now makes me want to vomit. These casual relationships now make me want to vomit where people are getting on websites and they're having all these flings with one another and married people are, it's just, it's, 
reprehensible. But you know what I'm not hearing a lot about? I'm not hearing a lot of preaching on it. And I'm not even just talking about me. I'm talking about I listen to pastors and I hear sermons. And for some reason, people aren't talking about that anymore. People aren't talking about the painful ramifications of divorce and how dangerous jumping into another relationship is. And, you know, Billy Bobber or Sharon Jean ran off with the neighbor and blah, blah, and well, I'm just going to go marry somebody else and blah, whatever, and nobody addresses the elephant in the room of how about healing, how about restoration, how about helping establish groundwork with which you can safely, if someone has been abandoned like that, help heal their hearts and focus on falling in love with Jesus and not worrying. I've actually been dealing with that with some people at work and I've told them, I've said, each one of them, I say individually when I get in conversation, they're able to talk to them. I tell them, listen, do not under any circumstances desire in any way to try to look for anybody right now. Fall in love with Jesus. That's what you need. Don't worry about any way right now looking for somebody because codependency out of the pain of divorce will destine you for another disaster. You've got to do it, but see, people don't want to talk about it because they're scared somebody might get upset, offended. Oh, you know, God forbid, you know, you got kids in these, um, these relationships that are, uh, what are they, you know, the, these casual relationships. You know, don't say something because some people might have an issue with it like you do. It's not an issue with me. It's not my word. It's not my law. It's not my holiness. It's God's. And God calls us to be holy because he is holy. And how can we expect God to bless us? How can we expect to experience the beauty of God, the picture of God, the person of God, and to know that he is Lord when we throw out everything his word says. We can't expect to walk in the fullness of Christ when we walk in the countenance of wickedness. Colossians 3, I, I, I can't tell you enough times, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above if you've been risen with Christ, what does that mean? If I've been risen with Christ, the waters of baptism and the picture of salvation is the picture of burying an old nature and being raised to walk in the newness of Christ and new life in Christ. If you've been risen with Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affections. What are affections? Your passions. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, not in the two-dimensional, not in the horizontal, not in the uh, horizontal, the vertical. Why? For we are dead, and our life is hid with Christ in God. We have been risen with Christ, died to ourselves, we are new creations. One of the young ladies at work, when I was saying this, I said, she said, well, how do you find a godly person? And I said, Lord, thank you. I said, you follow God's dating plan. I said, what's that? I said, it's in the first few chapters of Genesis. Not only do you see the creation narrative, but you see how God brought her to him. And when you let God bring her 
to him, meaning you to him, when it's his time, I said, you know what you can do? I said, if you will just run from anything that is a male, don't even look, and you see a person that looks, that thinks they, they might be attracted to you, I said, head the other direction. They said, well, how will I ever get married like that? I said, because if it's God's man for you, you can't go and hide in the Bermuda Triangle and get away from him. That's what I said. The sad people is people don't believe that's true. But it is. I've got friends right now, when the woman saw the man for the first time, dead serious word for word, said the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. One of the friends that I have said that about her husband now. She said, I would not go out with him for nothing in this world. They've been married about 40 years. Passionately in love with each other. Now, what would he have done had he not been a believer and trusted the Lord? He'd have discouraged and walked away. He knew it was God's woman for him. And he waited on the Lord, and the Lord proved faithful. I'm saying all this to parallel this with this scripture tonight. When you look at the odds at this battle that occurs in Ezekiel right here, these are odds from the earthly and militarial perspective that are impossible. You can't have nations, plural, attack you and walk away like this. You can when God is the one in, in control and responsible. And that's why in, that what's going to happen this day, and this is what I want to tell you, these are three things we know tonight. Number one is every knee is going to bow. Now, I referenced back when I said earlier about those people that you and I have in our lives that we want nothing more than them to love. I, I'll be honest with you because I'm a person, I'm a fixer. Anybody else fixers? Hard, isn't it? Us fixers, we just want to put that little drive right in them. We want to whip our kids to obedience, right? Because all they need is one more whipping and they'll straighten up. But we can't will them to obedience. And us fixers, we just want to find a solution. We want to get that solution going and then sit back and let it happen. But see, every knee will bow. We can't make our kids bow to Christ. We can do it when we make them at home. I just love right now, especially our little ones at home. We do our devotions. It's so sweet. They're just so, their questions are awesome. And they're just so genuine. And I just can't even, as a matter of fact, I can try to think of what he asked me this morning. Little man was asking something just precious. And yesterday, just these conversations, you know, trying to understand what God is and trying to understand. And after we do our devotions, you know, you have these questions. And we're going through the answers in Genesis in the mornings. And I read that until I'm at work. They read a little different thing. But we're going through them. We're actually right now, it's interesting, it, it, this morning we read we're at the place in the Lord's Supper where we're going through. So we, we talked about that this morning, but it's so neat. Those little minds, you might say, oh, you know, these little snot-nosed things, they're not getting this. This is too deep. Oh, yeah, they are. We have questions at the end of these things we answer, and even little fella, 
He's answering questions. He's hearing. Now, does that 100% guarantee that it's going to culminate in him bowing? I don't know. I pray that. You know what I do? I'm doing what the Scripture says. Train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. I'm going to hold fast to that. And you know what I know? I know God is the righteous judge, and whether one of them goes out in left field and I die before I see it, I'm going to trust God because he's faithful. And that's what I've got to do. And I have to be so thankful that God allowed me to be redeemed before John was about four, or five, four years old, three years old maybe, and thank God that he was able to see that because I think the years of disaster that I would have probably forced in his life through my actions could have been catastrophic. I'm thankful for that, but some others don't get that opportunity. And I ultimately don't know. My children, I, they have those choices that they're going to make, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, church tonight, that every knee is going to bow. And that's that question tonight. Do you know? Do you know that every knee will bow? And we know right here, just like at this battle, and the culmination of this is going to be that then they will know that I am God. All the nations are going to know that God is God. They're going to know that he's holy. They're going to know that he's righteous because God's going to show out, as we see right there, when I call for my sword against some of my mountains, then the declaration of the Lord God and every sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment with the plague of bloodshed. I will pour out torrential rain, hailstones, fire, burning sulfur, as well as troops and the many people who are with them. I will display my greatness and my holiness. You're not going to want to be there, I can promise you that. Especially if you're on the wrong side of that. Because God's going to show them, not only are you going to bow an attorney, but you're going to bow right here, right now, because you're going to know that I'm God. Tonight, every knee will bow, and number two, every tongue will confess. And number three, that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, we can't force it. We can spiritually shepherd them. That's why I think it's super important to be authentic. You probably know this. I'm a tough taskmaster at home. And I mean that. Why do I say that? I say that in no way a bragging way, in no way an arrogant way. I say that with all the humility in the world. And the reason I say that reason I'm like that with my children I'm fallible when my children behave in a certain way I have a zero tolerance if I say that I'm going to do something you might as well go on you can just get ready because I write that check it's going to get cashed I'm very serious when it comes to what I say I expect you to do I don't expect excuses and the reason that I do this is because children get their first picture of the Lord through a father. And what I realized growing up and seeing with people that were not serious about discipline is that the view of God stems from that. And when you say something and do not do it, what happens is, is that bleeds over into their spiritual life and believing I can act like I want to. I can do what I want to because God's going to understand. And I think that's where a lot of the mind, the mind processing that we're getting right now and the thought process comes from. 
It's people who had a bark with no bite. And when you expect them one day to believe that this God is holy and righteous and just, and when he says something, he means it. When you've seen a parent who had no ability to demonstrate what it means, this is why God's word is so important. Because what? Sparing the rod, you spoil the child. The next verse says you spare the rod, you contribute to their death. Not just physical death in this life, but that's talking about eternal spiritual death. Because when God says something, God means it. God's not playing games, church. God is loving, he's righteous, he's holy, he's just. Yes, he's merciful. The greatest act of mercy in all of time and creation is in the person of God in the expression of Jesus Christ. What more can you want? The greatest expression of grace and love is in the expression of Jesus Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection and him being the substitutionary atonement for our sin. But in no way is God's love, mercy, and grace an extension to plunge ourselves into unrighteousness and believe that God's going to have no problem with that. Scripture clearly says God cannot be mocked. It doesn't say might not, could not. It says cannot. A person reaps what they sow. Those that sow to the flesh reap destruction, but those that sow to the Spirit reap life everlasting. Those are non-negotiables, church. This is not something that God's going to go, you know, I understand you tried to do a good job and you violated my holiness and you believed that assembly was nothing that applied to you and it, it wasn't a big deal because, you know, you and I have that understanding, coach. It's not going to happen. God's not going to go, you know, I understood that you had those urges and it was not an, you know, you know, I created you so I should have known. No. God says be holy because I am holy. What God did give us is the ability to restrain the natures that rage within us, all of us. Also, it's like you preacher, you know, I would never have no, get out of here. Don't mock me, don't even, don't even try. All of us, I don't care how old you are. Some of the things that I see play out in many, much my seniors is astounding. So don't tell me that just because we get older, we don't have any battles with anything anymore. I'd almost say they get worse. Every one of us in here battle the brokenness of a sin nature that we will not be freed until the glorification stage. Every one of us. So how do we wrangle in and take hold? You can start off by doing what Scripture says. Take every thought captive to the will of Christ. So the moment that thought begins to creep up, you have a choice to make. You can allow God to be God. Then they will know that I am God. I know you're God, Lord. I know that your spirit dwells within me. Father, take these thoughts, these wicked thoughts, call them what they are. Break my heart, Lord, for what breaks your heart. Give me joy for what gives you joy, Lord. You know me. You know my battles, Father. Do not let me live a life of ungodliness and unrighteousness, though I battle these 
Lord, I struggle just like Paul and anybody else did for that matter. Sometimes I catch myself doing what I shouldn't and not doing what I should. Get honest with God about it. Pour out your heart to him. Be serious, not complacent, not apathetic, not excusatory. Get honest, get in God's presence and take it captive with God's word. You're having serious battles of the mind, get in the word. You're having serious battles with your mouth, get in prayer, get in the word. Well, I only have so many hours in a day. Great, you got 24. Well, I don't know what to do otherwise. Pray without ceasing. Well, how can I pray without ceasing? Pray in your subconscious, the same one that sadly a denomination uses to say that music doesn't involve itself in the church. Scripture says to what? Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. That wasn't talking about assembly. That's talking about every single day with us. Our lives should be a prayer to the Lord from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep. Again, why I often reference that Keith Green song, Make My Life a Prayer to You. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine the light you gave through your son you sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really there. So I want to die and let you live. Give your life to me so I might live and share the hope you gave to me. I want to share the love that set me free. Make your life a prayer. We don't have to yield ourselves to members of unrighteousness and ungodliness. We don't have to sit out here and go, there's nothing I can do about it. So uh, Proverbs says, righteous fall seven times a day. They get up. God understands. No, that's not saying that. That's saying that sin should be something that takes you not. I yielded myself. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. No, you should fall into sin. Anybody in here purposely fall? Maybe the people wanting to sue grocery stores. None of us in here, especially the older you get, you're not falling. That's the last thing you want to do. It's something that catches you completely off guard. It was something that in no way you wanted to do. It was completely accidental. That's the way sin should be in our life. It should not be something that we are sitting back, thinking about, dwelling on, and then going, well, I'm just going to go on and do it. No, it should be something that takes us by accident. And then quickly, as the Holy Spirit convicts us, should be repented of just as fast as it occurred. Why? Because you've been praying, as I just shared a moment ago, I hope. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. In the moment that you violate God's call, God's word, and God's plan, what has God done? That heart of flesh that heart that's been renewed by the wine of God's love has become so sensitive to the things of the Lord that your heart breaks immediately when you realize what you've done to your God, what you've heaped on your Savior. That's how you start. You start by desiring godliness to pervade every aspect of your heart and your life, every aspect of your mind. You give the enemy no ability to squat on territory he has no right to. Only us, by our apathy and indifference, do we allow him to have access to an area he never should have a right to. And that's why scripture says without ceasing, because when we pray without ceasing, there is no area with which he can squat. That's why it's so important. My dad always singing, always whistling. Some people, it drives him crazy. You know, 
always whistling. My dad is always whistling a hymn all the time. He's always singing a song. It's really funny. It's, actually, every time I hear him, it just makes me giggle because it's my dad. He, my dad's been doing that for the 49 years of my life, and he's still doing it. He's always got a hymn. He's always got a praise song. It's never anything in my entire life that I've ever heard him whistle, hum, or sing that is not a praise song. You know what I know? I promise you, my father's, now my dad will tell you quick, anybody else, that he battles sin just like anybody else, but I can assure you that my father's level of that has been reduced drastically because what he's done is applied biblical principles and kept his mind occupied on the things of the, right? Focus on, if you remember Christ, seek those things above, not the things of the earth, those affections, things above. Tonight, where are your affections? Where's your heart? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We know that God is going to make himself holy. He is going to display that holiness. He's going to reveal himself in the sight of these nations. And they're going to know that he is God. And I hope that every person watching online tonight also knows that God is God. I hope they're living in the light of his glory and his grace. I hope they're seeking his face. And I hope tonight that we begin in our lives to even those scriptural things as I'll begin to hit in the coming months. God's really laying it on my heart. The things even for our young people and for our adults alike, these things that the church has begun to embrace culturally, God is really hitting me heavily with the fact that we are called to be set apart. We are not to be plunging ourselves into a flood of dissipation. This is not anything to do with legalism, but it has to do with the fact that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to live a life that manifests the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus, not a life full of contradiction because what is the world ever going to see lived out in our lives if we are nothing but a walking contradiction to truth, righteousness, and godliness? What are they ever going to see when our testimony never makes it to them because we walk by and we are literally so like the world, completely, exactly chameleon to the world's colors, what are they ever going to see? But when we are set apart, I know this for a fact because I experience it, and I've experienced it. When you live set apart, they can't help but see Christ in you. As I've shared with you the stories about what a smile has done in the place that I've been for five months now, just the smile alone has opened up multitudes of conversations with people and still to this day are opening doors in conversation with people and people that are now smiling as a result of the conversations that I've had with them. I don't know if they're doing it mockingly. They might be. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I know that if that was the case, it's affected their mind enough to have them mock me by smiling at me now. I don't know, but I'm not going to prejudge that for what it is. I'm going to say, God, thank you. Thank you. Maybe you use that to convict this person, and that's why they're doing it. And I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ and the, the ability that I have to be a testimony, even through something as simple as a smile. But imagine if I walk in there. Remember, I've been here all day Sunday. You think my back feels good on Monday mornings? It does not, I will assure you. And I could walk in there and allow this 
to be an expression of this and those, and the last thing I would have on my face is a smile. You know what I would do? Welcome, hook, line, and sinker, the opportunity to be anything but a reflection of God's glory and justify, ready, my sin in doing that. Because, well, you know, Lord, I'm tired and I'm hurting. No, I'm saved. Jesus died for me. What a privilege to shine the light of the gospel truth and the glory of the Savior that is allowing me this time that I have limited time left on this terrestrial ball to be a reflection of God's glory, and then I'm going home. I have eternity to celebrate the victories, but I just have a few hours before sunset to win them. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, tonight for your word. Lord, thank you for truth. God, thank you, Lord, as the, this picture that we read tonight in this one simple verse, God, of what's going to happen one day when you show yourself holy to all the nations. God, thank you for that, Lord. But in the meantime, I pray that we will be faithful, we will be steadfast to be, to be beacons of hope, beacons of light. Lord, that we will live lives holy, set apart, Father, that the world will see Jesus lived out in us, Father, and recognize the beauty of not only the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but also the horror of those that if we do not share the gospel, that they never come to saving faith, they're going to realize, whether they realize it or not, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, give us a passion, an unmatched passion to share that every place that we go, this world desperately needs the hope of salvation and the love of Jesus Christ. Go with us into our mission fields. Father, protect us as we drive home. Open opportunities, Lord, that we never could imagine this week and give us the wisdom and ability to meet those, God. Pray that we will yield not to our, our physical afflictions, battles, and struggles, but we will yield to the Spirit, Lord, in leaving every single day filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, having read our word, having been in prayer and entered boldly into your presence, going empowered in the Holy Spirit, Father, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And may you alone, Father, be glorified in everything said and done. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.